0: Welcome to episode 9 of Big Happy Life. I'm your host, Natalie Britt, and this week we're talking about feedback. More specifically, we're looking at the lens through which you could filter feedback so that it becomes more beneficial to you. If you're someone who struggles with criticism, if it weighs really heavily on you, and it potentially stops you from pushing forward, then this episode should really give you some food for thought about how you might consider feedback in future. By the same token, this episode could help you think about your relationship with feedback if you're somebody who struggles to work in the absence of praise, if praise is a really important driver for you. This week's episode is inspired by some conversations I've had recently with friends who were talking about feedback that they've had from their parents and how hurtful some of that feedback was. And since most of us have had feedback we found hurtful at some point in our lives, it seemed a really good topic to discuss. That, and also the fact that if you have a big life, then the likelihood is you're involved in a lot of things where a lot of people can give you a lot of feedback. So it's really worth thinking about how that feedback affects you, what you can do with it, and how you make it a productive force in your life. This topic is of personal interest to me because criticism is something I've always struggled with. It's something I continue to struggle with. And praise was a huge driver for me, particularly when I was younger. I was very much a praise junkie, always looking for someone to notice what I was doing rather than doing the thing for the sake of doing it. And it's only much later in my life that I realized how that affected my ability to recognize my own values, who I was, what I wanted, to have my own voice heard, to value my own opinions. All of those things were kind of on the back burner because I was so busy worrying about what other people thought and whether or not I was going to be praised or criticized. So in this episode, I'll be sharing with you some of the lessons I've learned along the way and also some of the lessons I have yet to internalize. As we've already said on earlier podcasts, knowing and doing are not always the same thing. The first lesson comes from a lady called Tara Moore in her book Playing Big, which is amazing and I've included a link in the show notes page. If you haven't read it, I'd highly recommend reading it. And in it, she talks about unhooking from praise and criticism. So unhooking from praise would mean doing things for their own sake, because you enjoy them, they add value or meaning to your life in ways that matter to you, not mainly in the pursuit of praise. More importantly, unhooking from praise means you feel equally good about what you've achieved, regardless of whether or not anyone notices or says anything. And by the same token, unhooking from criticism would mean going ahead with something even though you might be criticized for it. If you're someone who is driven quite a lot by the fear of criticism or the desire for praise, then this particular idea is incredibly important. Imagine a car for a moment and think about the driver's seat, the passenger seat, and two back seats. And in just the same way as you can only have one driver of a car, unless of course you're in one of those learner cars and it's all adapted, let's just assume it's a normal car and we can only have one driver, then putting fear of criticism or desire for praise in the driver's seat means that your values and your goals and all of those sorts of things have to be moved to either the passenger seat or even the back seats, depending on what else you're prioritizing. So I really love this idea of unhooking from praise or criticism, because in my mind, it means it stays in the car, but it no longer drives. It's not even the front seat passenger, because the front seat passenger could potentially be the navigator as well, and we don't want to give that role to praise and criticism either. It's the kids in the backseat of the car on a long journey. So you can chat to them sometimes, have fun with them sometimes, and sometimes you need to ask them to be quiet. Thinking about feedback this way really helps to identify what's driving you and what role you assign to feedback, to praise, to criticism. If it drives your motivation or navigates your choices, then the likelihood is it's playing too big a role and some part of you or your values or goals may be lost as a result of prioritizing what other people think. In later episodes of the podcast, we'll actually address how you make those types of changes, how you get praise and feedback out of the driver's seat and replace them with something else. But even just becoming aware of the fact that praise or feedback is in the driver's seat for you will be enough for you to begin the process of starting to think about whether you want to make that change and how you might do it. The next lesson was one I learned as a corporate trainer. Be careful of thinking other people's feedback is about you. I was so sensitive to criticism that if someone attended a workshop I was running and came out criticizing me or the content, I took that to mean I had done a bad job. It took me a number of years to work out that the attitudes people bring with them, the openness of their minds, the questions they've got, the willingness to learn, all of those things can impact their ability to benefit from a training course. So if someone's attending a course against their will, feeling really irritated about being there, wishing they could be doing something else because they've got so much work to do, then they naturally are going to have a completely different experience and completely different feedback from somebody who is excited about being there, who's been waiting for months to attend. I became much better at using feedback once I realized that it was giving me clues about the mindset of the individuals attending. It was giving me clues about what they needed, what they were looking for from me. And then using the feedback became more a choice of, how do I connect with this person? What is it that I need to do? How do I help them unlock themselves? which felt a hell of a lot more powerful than am I good at my job or not through the eyes of someone else. I think it's useful to apply this type of thinking even when the feedback is quite personal. As an example, one of the conversations that inspired this podcast was with a friend of mine whose dad told her he thinks she's selfish. Now, it's really easy if someone tells you they think you're selfish for you to think that the feedback is about you. But in much the same way as I applied the lesson in a work context, I think it applies here too. The natural instinct if you take the feedback on face value is to try and determine... Am I selfish or aren't I? But if you're able to turn it around and apply a bit of curiosity, you start thinking about the drivers behind the feedback. And that potentially gives you something far more powerful to work with. What makes him think you're selfish? The feedback is specific to that individual and that relationship. And what it tells you is that he potentially has some unmet needs, And the things you can do in other relationships may not be appropriate in this relationship because he responds differently than other people. Now, in Playing Big, Tara Moore suggests that the feedback can never tell you anything about yourself and it only ever tells you about the other person. But I think if 20 people are telling you you're selfish, then there's probably something in it and it's worth paying attention to that. But when you're getting specific feedback in specific contexts from specific people, it's better to look at where that feedback is coming from, what's underneath it, what are the needs and the values and the beliefs of that person. And then you can work out what to do with the feedback. Which brings me to lesson number three, which is it doesn't matter whether or not the feedback's true, it matters what you wanna do with it. Anytime you get a piece of criticism, the natural instinct is to think about whether or not it's justified. But that's ultimately irrelevant. Just as I described with the training course example, there was little value in me worrying about whether or not I was a good or a bad trainer. The important thing was what I did with the feedback to make me better at connecting with people who didn't want to be there. If I look at my friend's example with the feedback she got from her dad, it doesn't matter whether or not she's selfish, it matters what she wants to do in her relationship with him and therefore how much investigation she needs to do to understand what drove the comments in the first place. Now, if she decided, actually, my relationship with my dad has been fraught for years, and I've been fighting a losing battle that I'm no longer willing to fight, then she could abandon the feedback. She doesn't need to actually do anything. It's always a choice as to whether or not you take on board the feedback and do something with it. But if she decides the relationship is important enough to her, then she goes down that route of investigation. But again, we have to keep that lesson in mind. Beware of thinking the feedback is about you. So when she investigates what's going on, she doesn't take it all on herself. Their relationship has both of them in it, and they both need to think about how to make the best of it. And that brings me to lesson four, which is, even though you're the receiver of the feedback, doesn't mean you're the only one who can do something about it. Now, of course, if it's something like you've launched a product and people don't like it, well, then that's probably going to be down to you to fix, or you'll probably go out of business. But when the feedback's about interacting, like it was in my case with the training courses and my friend's case with her dad, We both have to keep in mind that we can't take sole responsibility for any changes. There are other people involved and they also have to take some responsibility. Now, in the coming months when I run the relationship series, we'll be looking at those types of conversations and how you have them. But for this episode, the main point is to think about the fact that it doesn't all lie with you. The final lesson came from an old book of Richard Branson's, which I haven't yet read, but I still plan to. It's called Screw It, Let's Do It. For the last few months, as I began to get Big Happy Life off the ground, I have been priding myself on doing new things and basically going, screw it, let's do it. But as I launched this podcast, I only told people who I thought would praise it. I haven't announced on my Facebook page or told loads of people that I've done it. I've told only those people who would think it was cool. Why? Because I'm scared people will listen and hate it. I have this vision of mums on the school run going, oh God, that's her, that's that woman who's done the podcast. Who does she think she is? But then I have to think about two things. Number one, most of the moms are actually very nice and probably couldn't care less what I'm doing. And two, unhooking from criticism means doing it even if you might face criticism. So to help me make that leap, I'm saying, screw it, let's do it. And I hope you'll join me in doing that this week with whatever big thing you've wanted to do, but you've been held back by the fear of possible criticism. As always, I would love to hear from you, particularly this week. I would love to know what you've done under the heading of screw it, let's do it. And also what feedback you got as a result and how the lessons applied once you got that feedback. You'll find a summary of this podcast and the link to Tara Moore's book on the show notes page. I hope you found this week's episode useful. I look forward to welcoming you back next week. And for now, thanks for listening.